Welcome to More Than a Sign, where we talk to some of Milwaukee's most productive realtors, up-and-coming realtors, and those that work alongside us. However, rather than being a platform for shameful self-promotion, these are intimate discussions about the journey, the struggle, the fear, and ultimately, the personal growth along the way. At the end of the day, nobody really cares about what we do. All that really matters is who we are. Today, we're going to learn who Mark Henry is. Mark Henry of Integrated Home Inspection. But before we do, let me tell you a few things about what Mark has done. Remarkably, in a given year, Mark can inspect as many as six to 700 homes. He works with probably 100 different agents over and over again, which is remarkable. But no disrespect intended. Who really cares about that? Let's talk to Mark, the human being. Cool? Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I think when I asked you, you were on my short list when I thought of people to have initially, and then I figured it would go from there. And when I asked you, you said you were surprised. Definitely. So I am trying to introduce people to our marketplace on a human scale that have had an impact on what we do. Initially, I was thinking about just working with realtors, but then I thought, you know what, there's so many interesting allied people that have great stories, so why not include Mark on that? And we did a podcast with Jody Kurtz from Almay, which was terrific. No pressure there. Um, but I'm excited to, to talk and for people to meet the Mark that I know. Okay. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Cudahy. Okay. I was actually born in California in San Bernardino. But my mom was from Cudahy, so we, we moved back pretty early when I was a young kid and went to Cudahy High School, graduated, went through my undergraduate, got a business degree, and then I got an MBA from UWM and then got into like an office type job. So and what was your MBA? What, what? Business administration. Okay. Yeah, I, I took a finance, um, I guess it was kind of like an emphasis on finance and mm -hmm. As a young person, you don't really know what you like and what you want to do, but I, you know, I probably wasn't in the ideal place where I wanted to be, but I didn't know that until I started doing it. And, you know, I'm kind of a person that likes to get out and be outside, be out the office. And yeah, so I, you know, didn't stay there forever, but it was probably eight, nine, going on 10 years from the time I graduated to when I started to get into, into some home construction. It's a tough feeling when you You've worked as a child and you've gone through school and then you got an MBA, which isn't easy and it's expensive. Yeah. And then to be sitting in a chair somewhere saying, this isn't what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It just it just didn't seem like it felt right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I'm sure other people have gone through that as well. And But you don't know where you're going to go either. Mm -hmm. you know, even after getting out of college, it was kind of like, well, what do I want to do with this? And you're trying to get any job and you take what you can get and you move ahead with that. So, you know, from the start, you're you're questioning whether you're doing the right thing. But I, I guess I've always kind of been like that anyway. And if I went back now, I'm not even sure what I would go into. Mm -hmm. but, uh, what industry were you in? in finance. Okay. Yeah. It's like broker dealer. I actually have like my series 7, 27, 24, that kind of stuff. Mm. And pass those tests. And I guess I passed because I was good at taking tests and they wanted me to take tests. And it was like a back office operation. Sure. Of a broker dealer. Okay. So, um, so you were called outside. So, what did you do? Well, we had uh, 
when I was in college, I'd, I'd go down to San Diego in the summer and work with my uncle. He was a carpenter, mm-hmm. and I loved doing that. I mean, who wouldn't if you're mm-hmm. 20 years old and you go to San Diego for the summer? It's 85 and sunny every day, and you're <laughs> out shirt off and on a slab of concrete cutting wood and doing laying out houses and stuff. And that was that was good experience for what I ended up doing. And then we we uh, started to do some spec houses. In my aunt is an architect and and was an architect in Scottsdale. And we ended up doing a little bit of spec building over there, and I got even more exposure to kind of the the background of that. Was that like early two thousands? I'd say late nineties. Okay, and, you know it was a pretty hot market back then, but that market really shut down after I want to say the Y two K crash. Mm, right. You know they had that's an extreme market. It was like all these California people move in every year, gets super hot, but then when it crashes, it crash it goes down mm-hmm. more than what we would around here. So. I almost moved down there. We were kind of set and thinking about it, but then, you know, that happened maybe, maybe for a reason, but, you know, but I still had that in mind. And with, um, my wife's father was a home builder as well. Mm-hmm. And he had just gone into retirement, but he gave me some information about how to get started. Gave me like a flow chart, kind of general contracting advice and some contractors to work with architects. And so we tried the spec houses up here sure. and uh, started out in Lake country. So when you're given that flow chart, like you walk out, you look at the flow chart and you feel like, man, I've got the, I've got the formula here. Yeah. So much happens. It's not on that flow chart, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's like anything else you, I mean, you can go to school and learn about business, but until you actually get out and do it, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you know, nothing, but I did have some advice from him. He wasn't in town all the time, but he'd come out and I mean, like he was a seasoned mason, and he had sold houses for a while, and then he was a general contractor, was a partner in a in a builder that did a hundred or hundred and twenty houses a year. Mm-hmm. So he knew everything. I mean, he was a super smart, knowledgeable guy. Though he wasn't around every day, he did. He was somebody I could call for mm-hmm. advice if I needed it. So we got going, and it was a time where the market was pretty good, the early two thousands around mm-hmm. Milwaukee, and um, so we had some decent success early on with selling specs. So we went into models and did the kind of the typical model business plan. You know, where you put up a model, you work it on the weekends, and you try to get custom jobs. And it ended up mm-hmm. being probably upper middle custom jobs, where your um, a build is four hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay. And and what would you hope to make on a deal like that? Like clear on mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I was probably lower than a lot of the guys that did that after okay. you know talking to him and hanging around at the NBA a little bit. I mean, I was hoping for somewhere between twelve and fifteen percent. Okay, markup. Sure. And I know there were guys that were twenty, twenty-two. Not going to mention names, but you know, local like Mequon guys that that would even almost brag about that. But I, I figured. I hadn't had as much of a track record, maybe not as great of a reputation, and I didn't have a huge overhead mm-hmm. office, and it was just me for a while. I mean, we started, we did our first parade model in 05 in Hawks Bluff, mm-hmm. and had some pretty good success with that, and just kind of kept going. I did 06 and 07 parade models, and ended up hiring a couple salespeople to work on the weekends. I had three models, and in 07, in the fall, I just finished a parade in, in Pewaukee and Broken Hill, and the market... Mm-hmm kind of started to crash it was sure changed pretty abruptly it went from pretty hot to dead yeah well two points Um, yeah one is if you look at the fact that you would go out you'd find a piece of land you would design the house you'd go through all the permitting all the entitlements you'd 
hire all the tradespeople. You'd try to forecast what the market was going to be like six months to a year when it was done. You'd build this house. Every day you're there. And there might be a 12% margin for all that work and all that risk. And it's kind of remarkable. And I like to remind agents that if you're lucky enough to be on both sides of a deal, our risk is really our time, maybe a little bit in photography, some moderate advertising, but agents are really well paid for the risk that they take. You know, we're selling our time and our expertise, but we're really not taking a lot of risk. And the builders are taking a ton of risk. And there isn't this crazy pot of gold at the end of the tunnel if, if you do it right. Right. It doesn't take much to, to yeah. miss it. You right. know, even even parade models, and I don't know if you'd ever got involved with those, but you tend to overdo it. Mm-hmm. You know, you even specs. You know, I was kind of an idealist when it came to that. Like, I would want to build a spec the way I'd want to live in it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we approached it. But when you looked around, specs are what you see even on the North Shore with renovations and things. They're, they put nice stuff in, and it's kind of flashy, but it's mm-hmm. not always the top. Right. grade you know it's it's and they, they're smart about it you know and, and i hadn't always gotten that but i thought you're you're gonna do a parade model and you're gonna try to get that attention that way maybe win the people's choice award or something and mm-hmm. and then you get custom work because of that so it was kind of a loss leader mm-hmm. in a way and we, we certainly did lose on a couple of parades or at least break even but learned a lot that way too and it was your best foot forward i guess right and again that could have been a year's worth of work or more Sure. All this risk, all this expense, all this time in the hopes of getting other contracts. I always right. like to put into perspective how fortunate we are as agents in terms of what we do. So one of the common themes of this podcast, and there are a number of others, Shire, Paul, others would come to mind of these perception that it was all easy and it was a straight path. And the truth is to get ahead, you have to take risk. Right. Um, you need to be blessed with the right timing and you need to develop a skill set. Well, sometimes you can have everything right in place and the market comes and knocks you off your feet. It happened to my father. It hits me very close to home. My dad was a developer and in the late 70s, he was a land developer and had three subdivisions, one in Franklin, one in Brown Deer, and one in Oak Creek. And you know, nobody was buying lots when okay, interest rates yeah. were going through the roof. So I watched my dad reinvent himself. And I've always held people in particularly high esteem who have taken risk and done everything right that was within their control. And things that weren't within their control kind of knocked them off their feet. And you had a couple specs in 2008. Or 2007. What yeah. was that like? Fall of 2000. It yeah. was, I mean, they were models at mm-hmm. that time, but they were, the bank considered them specs. Okay. And I think if you paid attention back then, everybody knew what was starting in 07 with the banks. I mean, they were on the verge of collapse. I mm-hmm. mean, they almost had a huge worldwide economic collapse. And right. So they had to make immediate changes. I was fall. I think I think it was the first week in November. I had those three models. I had me working on weekends and then two other salespeople. And I got three letters the same week from the all the banks that there are three different banks and they wanted their payment for that spec mm-hmm. in, in full thirty days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can imagine how that kind of fed into 
the collapse in prices, people that had to bail and get out of there. And I mean, I don't know how you would, I would have sold them anyway. And, sure. and when they weren't giving money to people, you know, right. it had gotten quiet in that fall as it was, because I think banks stopped lending to a degree and mm-hmm. especially to younger people that didn't have a lot of money in the bank. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it was, it was a tough situation I and mean, it took a while to work through it. Yeah. So out of curiosity, if you just took one of those models, what should it have sold for in 2006 or seven? And what did it sell for in 2008 or nine? Do you remember? I think I had one in, in Concord Creek that we probably had 800,000 in with lot and landscape for, and for that subdivision. It was, it was modest, but it was decent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got seven and a quarter for it. So think about that. And yeah. If you had 800 in it, yeah. it probably should have sold in the nines and it sold for seven and a quarter. Yeah. And yeah. that's how quickly things can change, even if you build something perfect in the perfect spot. Yeah. So like everybody in 2008 that was in our industry, you kind of had to reinvent yourself. So what did it look like from there? Well, you did what you had to do. You know, I had mm-hmm. three kids and... I still had some custom work coming in. I, with the models, it did generate some business. I had to had to cut everybody immediately. Mm-hmm. I had a project manager that was on site. I had a couple of laborers that I worked with, lady in the office, and then uh, this couple of salespeople. And even though they were on commissions, we were still trying to bail out of those models as soon as we could. So it changed, obviously, and I handled everything from there. But, you know, there were times where... It's pretty tough and, you know, you feel like your head's going to explode. You're, you just got so much pressure from all different directions and trying to work through it. And, but like everybody else, I, I also started to do remodeling Mm -hmm. and I hadn't until that point, maybe the occasional basement in a new construction that I had done, but really hadn't really gotten into remodeling, but so did everybody else. I Mm -hmm. mean, anybody with a truck became a remodeler because carpenters were out of business and tile guys were out of business and. So it was it was a bloodbath for everyone involved, and you had nowhere to go, and you just did what you had to do. And when I did remodels, I was doing a lot of the work and doing landscape work and building retaining walls and putting patios in and mm-hmm. things like that because you could make revenue that way. When people would ask you back then, that you probably couldn't even finish the sentence, people would say, Mark, do you? And you'd probably say sure. yes, yes, before they could even ask you. I was painting houses. Was. I was right. cutting trees. I was, you know, I was doing mm-hmm. what I could do. you just get scrappy to make some, make some income. Did you have kids then? Three. Yeah, yeah. three that were in the house. There were some, I, I'm trying to think of how old they were. I guess grade school through just starting high school. So I'm a firm believer that kids don't, listen to what we say, but they watch what we do. And part of our job is to show our kids how you get back up, you know, off the ground when you're knocked off your feet. And, and at the time it was a curse, but looking back, you know, it becomes a little bit more of a blessing because those things are going to happen to our kids. I mean, we have five kids between the two of us and they will get knocked on their asses and they'll be able to look at you or me and say, Hey, that's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think you're right. So how did you get into home inspecting? So I uh, I still had a little bit of custom new construction, did some remodels. And then I had one of the agents that, that sold our models mention to me that, hey, you know, what are you going to do now? What are you, you going to put up any more models? And, and then she said, what do you think about being a home inspector? There doesn't seem to be enough out there. There's a lot of guys that are retiring. And I asked a little bit more. 
questions. I looked into it a little and I started training. I want to say it was 2012 or 2013. I think I finally got my licenses. So I went through that training, got the license, and then started to, to market to the people that I knew. Um, I continued to do both remodel and home inspections. And as the real estate market took off, it, it was, uh, it got busy on the home inspections Mm -hmm. and remodeling, I think was getting busier, but frankly, I didn't, I didn't really like the remodel part. I don't, I didn't, I don't like being in someone's house. I, Mm -hmm. I don't like being there at First thing in the morning, they're still in their robe having coffee, and here we are banging around in the kitchen. You know, right. it's it's like they want you out of there as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. You can't be fast enough. They might like you, but they don't like you in their house. So For sure. Okay, so you go through this training. Was that pretty insightful? Did you learn a lot from that? You know, I you go in there thinking you know things because you're a con- contractor and you've mm-hmm. seen a lot, and you don't. I, mm-hmm. It's a whole different way to look at a house. Interesting. So you had an advantage having been a builder, I think but then so. you learn on top of that. And I always think it's an advantage if a home inspector is a former remodeler, builder, engineer, you know, something that bolsters that. I don't know how you couldn't be, almost, you know, yeah. you, you, just to have that as your kind of backdrop on, on everything that you see. Yeah. So you're busiest. You're doing 700 inspections a year. So let's say that's 14 a week. At um, least, oh yeah, there was weeks. Leading even the year before COVID, COVID was my busiest year. But I would do twenty-two in a week, twenty-three. You know, it's not, a couple were condos; those go a little faster. But we're talking. I allocate five to six hours per, if you count drive time and and uh, write up time. I mean, every inspection takes me about an hour and a half to write up at home. And I mean, if you do the math, you're one hundred and ten hours a week, hundred ten yeah. plus. And I had that going for a couple. Or three years almost straight until mm-hmm. I'd say, I'd say about March last year, it started with the dropping inspections. And I think that right. hit kind of right away. Mm-hmm. But in a way, it might have been a blessing too because you know, I got a little bit more balance in my life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 100 hours is not sustainable. And I can tell you that our team works with you quite a bit. And we never felt like you were doing another inspection that day or that week. You have a really good way of making everybody feel important, focused on them, turning it around in time. Like you don't never have felt like frazzled really? or overstretched. Yeah. Maybe it was just inside then, but yeah, I mean, right. it's, it's hard to get, pull that off. And, you know, I started to realize that now in, in hindsight, I, you know, I'm going to try not to do mm-hmm. that because I think three a day is really what the pace is. And I mean, you're out at eight in the morning and you're back at seven thirty at night, and then I'm up to write up three inspections. I've got to get up at three thirty or four in the morning and to get those done and out before I leave the next day. Wow! And, you know, I know people don't realize that, but I don't know if I'm doing anybody any favors having that kind of a schedule. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've really been focused on just trying to get rest and reading books on mindfulness and yeah. focus and, and attention and get that flashlight out and, I, and not get distracted. Stress can really be a distraction. Yeah, it's terrible. I have two personal outlets that I talk about quite a bit. One is running, and uh-huh. my running has gotten shorter and now on a treadmill, but I've run my whole adult life. And it's just a great way to work through things and, you know, be at peace with things. And one of the uh, comparisons I use is if you wake up in the middle of the night, things feel like such a big deal that you have to deal with. Yeah. But if you think about those same things on a run, they're also manageable. And I think everybody kind of needs an outlet like that. The other is meditation. Meditation totally changed my life. I owe my brother 
uh, credit for that, but I started meditating and it just smooths out the edges in everything, makes everything that you should do easier and it makes all the things that you shouldn't do less desirable. Yeah, I should try that more. We've got a book and a video. It's different than mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is a little more... Being present. Yeah, just noticing and or letting it go and... You yeah. know, but yeah, meditation, I have a hard time getting to where I need to be, I think, because sure. I think too much starts getting in my head and I've got, I've always been like that. You know, I, I just have a lot of, I think probably anxiety with mm-hmm. thinking about too many things at once. And, but I do love the physical stuff. I think that's, that's my getaway. I love to hike. Sure. I love to chop wood. I, I just started rollerblading. Um, nice. Yeah. I know. I'm sure everybody would get a chuckle out of seeing me seven <laughs> feet tall and I got those 125 millimeter wheels. Um, Funny. <laughs> I, you won't see me on Lincoln Memorial anytime soon, but mm-hmm. I'm working up to that All I, right. just recently. Yeah, I just, I, I do, you know, just have always liked to get outside and mm-hmm. do physical stuff. I think that's good balance for always being intensely focused. And Yeah. And I think there are steps to mindfulness, and one of the steps is perspective. And I think it's important that we just adopt a healthy perspective on things, Yeah, and that is a benchmark or a milestone on the way to my mindfulness but i think a lot of times we lose perspective and we make bigger deals out of things than than they might be or only look at it from our perspective and not others so when you were cranking out 20 i mean that means you're working seven days a week oh yeah so you're getting up at three in the morning seven days a week Mm -hmm. was any of that motivated by and and it would make sense. You had just been through not that long ago, right? A total business change. We had to start over. And no one saw it coming. Is part of that just I'm going to do as many of these as I can, as well as I can, while I can? That's yeah. That's a big part of it. I mean, ask anybody that in my family that was worried about me or my friends. You know, I, you kind of lose touch with with your people in your life because you're you're busy working. And I just kept telling them, hey, you know, remember ten years ago. This could happen again. I mean, you and I know it seems like 10-year cycles. Things change. They go the other direction. It's all part of cycles in business. And I figured it was going to slow down at some point. I was just going to do what I could. And, yes, having that other experience fresh in my mind certainly made a difference. And then there's the the other element is um, if agents call me and they can't get scheduled, sooner or later they're going to start calling somebody else. I mean, mm. it's just like any contractor. If you call your plumber three times and – he can't make it. He can't make it. You got to start looking for someone else because you got to get your job done. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, you work with enough people and you don't want to disappoint them. So you're, you you work it in. You work it in your schedule. Mm-hmm. Saturday night, Sunday night, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So what should not be lost in this is to be that busy, you have to be good. I mean, you really have to be dependable, knowledgeable, easy to work with. I mean, the fact that there are lots of people that would love to be that busy at just once. And the fact that you could do that as long as you did that is a testament to the service you provide. Not that you should work that much, but it's a testament to how people view you. Yeah, I, I maybe, I guess. I, I feel like it is kind of a commodity too, but I hope I provide, you know, the, the end goal is to do the best job I can for the buyers and your customers and do it right, you know, see what needs to be seen. And uh, everybody knows I'm not perfect. Everything's come up on houses. There, there's so many things that, that could possibly go wrong with the house. Sometimes mm-hmm. it, it's almost impossible to predict, but I really do believe 
I have to get better all the time and you're only as good as your last inspection. I mean, yeah. and right. I messed something up this week for you. I might've done a hundred inspections for you in the past, but something goes wrong and that's all forgotten. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's what I go into it and I do really care. I mean, one thing I would like to also discuss would be, I do care about the agents and I'm not trying to hurt their deals. Mm-hmm. I'm just t- trying to do the right thing for the buyers. Right. And I don't want, you know, I think it was a, a few years back, I heard somebody say I was a deal killer, mm. you know, which is, couldn't be further. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe a deal well, fell the through. The problem was the deal killer, not yeah. the message. The house might've been the right, deal killer. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but that's like, that. I mean, gosh, I, I don't want to find anything wrong with the house, but if it's there, I have, I have to, it's my job to find it Yeah. and, and communicate it. And it's a touchy, emotional negotiation that you guys have. I, I can't believe the work that you do. You're, you're balancing a lot of dollars and a lot of people and a lot of uh, craziness. And I, you know, I don't think I could do that, but I, I try to be as level-headed as possible and fair. And I, I'd love to get into a position where I could get more feedback from agents mm-hmm. to try to improve the way I present things, or maybe I put too much on reports. I think about that all the time. Mm-hmm. If, if people don't call me for a few months, I'm, I'm so paranoid that what did I do wrong? You know, mm. they don't, I don't always get a lot of feedback. So, uh, well, I think that if you look at the agents in our industry, you have agents that want to sell people homes and you have agents that want to find people homes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very different agent mindset. I and, and my team, We've all prided on ourselves on always trying to find somebody a house. And my God, if this house that we're in right now isn't the right house, I want to know it. They want to know it. I don't want to sell somebody this house. I want to sell them the right house. And I think that the agents, and you can kind of feel that, the agents that have that mentality, they're going to call you over and over again. And the agents that just want to sell something, want it to be smooth and easy and they don't really care and they're commission driven, you're not going to hear from them again. And again, the philosophy is you're a deal killer for someone that wants to sell a house, but for somebody that wants to find their client, the right house, that house was the deal killer. Yeah, I would agree. You can tell right away too, how, how the agent handles any comments I make, Mm -hmm. you know, you can hear it in their voice and their posturing. And obviously your group is professional and excellent at what you do. I, you, I, would never have gotten any feeling of that. You guys go over and above making sure you do follow-ups and uh, you may not see that, but not everybody's like that. Mm. I mean, it is, there's plenty out there that, I mean, they try to steer me in a direction or they'll, I've had agents argue with me on inspections, you know, about things that I'm saying are defects or not. And which was a whole nother can of worms when that defect thing came up last year with the change of having to create that Mm -hmm. uh, new section in my reports. But, because what is a defect and what is... I could talk all right. day about I probably do yeah. my own podcast on what's a defect, you know, because I sure. think it's all arguable. It's, I mean, this is so much opinion. I mean, you have a basement that's two inches out of plumb and a huge crack. That's a defect. But mm-hmm. not everything's that clear and mm-hmm. black and white. So, uh, yeah, I would love to even talk more about that with agents. I, I don't know how to get feedback. I mean, I, I'd love to pursue that some some more as I move ahead. But yeah, I, I think that agents are, are of all kinds. A hundred different agents have a hundred different approaches. And and same thing with contractors. You might get three roofers to look at a roof and you're probably going to get three different opinions. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even a roofer, you know, but I try to, you know, I'm the 
the general practitioner in there, and those guys are the the brain surgeons. Right. I think a, a good analogy would be you're like the emergency room doctor, right? Do they need to go up into the hospital and see a specialist, or right. you know, can they go home? Yeah, you have to discern in a matter of hours, sometimes in a very large house, yeah. what is an issue and not. And you're seeing it. A lot of these things you're not seeing working. You're just observing. Yeah. And, and am I always right? No. I, I mean, I have some agents that I think just hate my guts. I, I've had some feedback that way too. I honestly, I, I wish I could talk to them in detail and see why. But I think most people understand where I'm coming from and, you know, where, where I'm trying to get. It is a short period of time and nobody wants to be there all day. Mm-hmm. And so you have to make a quick call on something. And I guess if I'm going to err, I'd rather err on the side of the buyer and get a contractor out, even though I'm also conscious of that because I know what a pain in the butt it is to get contractors out yeah, um, and follow-ups. And I don't want to have 17 follow-ups on every inspection. And that's right. kind of the way they train you. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at, at the materials that, that we do and go through and, and then the continuing ad and then some of the training as you go through these meetings that, that the inspectors do as their association, that's kind of the, the fallback position is have somebody look at it. So what keeps you up at night? Missing something. Mm. I mean, you... Do you ever wake up and, like, see a house that you were in? Oh, yeah. Or I'll think of something, you know, like even the report write-ups. I I do take... I try to minimize time out there. I take a lot of photos. um, But when you're you're doing three write-ups in the morning before you head out, you may not always transfer something to the summary page or something. Mm. And I'll be on a a house the next morning. I'll look at the sighting. I'll be like, oh, crap, I forgot to put that on the summary page or... um, but yeah, I'll wake up and, and worry about things. Sometimes it's a feel, you know, you get to a house and you just feel like something's wrong, but you have to find something concrete to, to point at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess if, uh, if anything, that's it. People hide stuff and there's no doubt in my mind. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. walk in a basement and the one place where they've got four pictures right. leaning against the wall, I'll mm-hmm. pull those back and sure enough, there's water back there or some mm-hmm. sort of you know, thing that would be a defect. Foolish. So last question, Yeah. Um, what do you want people to know about you? I don't know. I guess they, I want them to know that I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm always trying to learn and get better. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to be able to even meet with those contractors that come out and learn more. I, I, I do. That's one thing I feel like is, a, is something that I, I am interested in and is always improving and learning more. Um, mm-hmm. I know that maybe sounds a little phony, but it really is. I mean, I'm, I'm curious and I like to jump from thing to thing, but I also want to learn as much as I can. And, and houses really are something I'm interested yeah. in learning more about. There, there's just no way I'm ever going to know it all. Mm-hmm. Yes, as I think about how to wrap this up, I think we all work hard. And this is a business where if you're going to succeed, you have to work hard. And I would say to the agents that tend to work the hardest and are out there the most and really sacrificing – To those agents that are up at six in the morning, you've already written two reports and you're in your car by then. And that is the level of commitment that you are providing your, the agents that you work for, the buyers that you work for. I can tell you that in the years that we've been working together, I can always get a hold of you via text or phone in minutes. It's always a yes, whatever we need. And it's really remarkable. And to hear that you're doing the type of business you're doing and you care as much as you care and that you find time for everybody is wonderful. 
it's especially encouraging to hear that you're finding more balance in your life now and that you're taking this opportunity where it's slowed down a little bit to be more present and balanced and all of that. Yeah. And, and I, I still, I consider the agents part of my team. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I've always joked about being your, your team member, you know, I really am. I, mm-hmm. I, I do care. Uh, you guys have such a great group and so many people that I work with now, it seems like over time I've kind of almost not intentionally, but it's like I've weeded out the ones that I don't really work well with together mm-hmm. or that aren't my style. And I think that, um, I know how hard you guys work for those deals and I don't want them not to happen, but I got to do what I have to do. Too. Yeah. That's what we want. Well, Mark, I'll see you out there. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm honored. Absolutely. Take care. So I'd like to give a shout out to Podcast Town Studios, our producer. No sleep for creating the music. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you believe that you or someone you know would be an ideal guest and would talk about not what they've done, but really who they are, why don't you reach out to me? I'm the easiest guy in the world to get a hold of. Thank you.